0: Hey, this is J.J. Reddick. You may know me as a basketball player. You may have seen me play during my college career at Duke University or perhaps over the past decade playing in the NBA for the Magic, the Bucks, the Clippers, or the Sixers. Well, today I'm here to tell you about my new show, the J.J. Reddick Podcast, on the Ringer Podcast Network. This is where you can find me interviewing athletes like my current teammate, Joel Embiid, as well as in-depth conversations with celebrities like the Late Late Show host, James Corden. The very first episode goes live later this week, so make sure to subscribe to the JJ Reddick Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: David, we're going to talk about the firing of MSNBC's Sam Cedar. What are the most incriminating tweets we could find on each other's timelines? Oh, no. I got some from yours. Are you ready? I guess. At WWE, Roman Reigns is really getting over. He's my breakout star of <laughs> 2017.
0: <laughs>
1: You're out of here, buddy. Oh, man. It's been, a nice, it's been a nice ride. That's really rough. We don't even need Mike Cernovich for that one. That's I know. Self-explanatory.
0: <laughs> I'm going to wait. I'm going to have to scroll back through yours. And this is in big chunks here. Hold on. I think this is a subtweet. I'm not at. I'm not sure which of your coworkers this is specifically aimed at, or the entire staff. But February of this year, anyone who thinks Chick Fil A waffle fries are the best fast food deserves to be fired. That's
1: that's (laughs) oh my god. That's really just fired half of the staff.
0: That's really that's incredible. That's strange. If you go back to 2016, this is a really weird one. This is at Brian Curtis. This is you talking, by the way. The last thing the world needs is another sports media podcast. (laughs) I'm not sure that's incriminating. It just looks really bad. I basically
1: just dunked on myself, right? This is the Press Box, another (laughs) sports media podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. (laughs) The Press Box is the media podcast where you're not allowed to use the phrase, get it first, but first, get it right. We are Brian Curtis and David Schubaker of The Ringer. David, three topics today for your inspection and amusement. First, the firing and unfiring of Sam Cedar of MSNBC. Second, Mike Mitchell versus Matt Hasselbeck in a locker room rant, shall we say? And number three, our pre-roll problem and yours. Does that (laughs) sound mysterious enough? Oh, man. People just tuned out of the last segment. All right, David. Number one, a segment I finally call Cedar Rapids, just Thank to you. invoke a terrible pun here. <laughs> Sam Cedar, who does appearances on MSNBC, we found out paid by the appearance. He mm-hmm. came out later, uh, was fired and then unfired this week after a strange series of events in back in two thousand nine, when a bunch of people were citing Roman Polanski's art as a reason to forgive or excuse his crimes. Cedar tweeted, quote, I hope if my daughter is ever raped, it is by an older, truly talented man with a great sense of mise-en-scene. <laughs> Obviously a joke, right, about the people excusing Roman Polanski. But that did not stop, David. Certain members of the internet, including one Mike Cernovich, a promoter of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, Ooh. he said his, his very own K-file, referring to the <laughs> CNN K-file sluice, uh, unearthed the tweet, badgered MSNBC with it, and briefly, MSNBC freaked out. MSNBC, news outlets in general, they're not a company that sells soap, mm. right? Because I got a, a podcast, I lost a lot of advertisers because it took one email from Cernovich to them saying Sam Cedar supports rape, right. and they get scared, and I can understand that because they're not in the business right. of trying to assess- They're not news organizations. Exactly. Right. And And I really think there's a, a real danger here because- if a news organization is not willing to take a, a stand on an assessment that is as clear as you and I walking outside and saying hey it's daytime, right? Then it's all fake news. We're in trouble. Right? We I mean because if they can't make that declarative statement, mm-hmm. w- what can they do? What did you make of this whole
0: weird very 2017 moment? This is very very 2017. I think that's the right way to look at it. Um i think that there's you know a lot of a lot of parallels in um you know the political sphere to what msnbc is doing here um and not not to draw parallels between um you know cedar and, and any of the other people who've lost their jobs over the past several months but you see it i mean but there is this sort of like this incredible ingrained fear uh Amongst professional liberals, to not be on the wrong side of anything, and to ju- just to be to a- to appease at the drop of a hat, I think that this is a little bit bigger, a big, I mean, a little bit you know more uh, intricate an issue um, than just the MSNBC side, because I mean, you mentioned Pizzagate, um, Cernovich came to you know, the attention of many people on the internet, uh, during Gamergate when he was just sort of one of the, um, kind of mid-level conservative voices who gave them platform by his attention to them. Um, and certainly like he, that's the first time I heard his name and and he, 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 you know, scaled the ladder of, of significance during that period of time as well, along with (laughs) some other, yeah, um, yeah but that was sort of like you know even during during Gamergate that's i mean they a similar a similar thing happened to Sam Biddle who used to write for it was writing for Gawker at the time where they took his tweet that said bring back bullying and just like deliberately willfully misread it um you know out of context this is different because there's no i mean at least Biddle's tweet was stand, you know if you if you chose to believe he was being earnest there was a standalone tweet but then what they did was uh, you know organize uh, followers, uh, fans, whoever, uh, whoever was, you know, in the anti-Sam Cedar, in that case, Biddle Side, to contact advertisers, to contact NVC and just send these really plaintiff, earnest emails. that were like, here is like, I am dismayed to hear that you employ this person. <laughs> right. Here is a tweet. Here is why I'm offended by it. You know, I, I spend money on your products on your, I watch your channel and I, I cannot in good conscience do it again as long as he's employed. And I think it's that sort of real, it's that sort of, uh, you know, uh, that, that sort of grassroots campaigning that has the most effect on a corporation like MSNBC. AstroTurf, we call sure. it, right, when it's fake grassroots. Who is reading these emails, by the
1: way? Who is the person <laughs> at MSNBC who's like, man, these people are, these people, these random people seem really troubled by this tweet they found in 2009. Yeah. I just don't, just, who is the person that reads those and is like, this is a genuine outpouring of disgust. What? and not this fake campaign. I mean, w- people That's are thing. savvy
0: enough it, by now, right, to understand yeah, this? I think it just depends on who sees it first, you know? I mean, it's it dep- like if 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 it gets to a certain if it gets to the wrong set of eyes or ears without it being, you know, without someone preparing that person for it, then it can then the overreaction is sort of natural, you know? I mean, it's I agree with you though. We have to be smarter than this in 2017. We should have been smarter than this 5 years ago for, you know, this sort this sort of thing is is really easy and it's very simple for people just to, you know, it's, re- it's really, it's it's not that hard to get 5,000 people to write a complaint email,
1: you know? No, totally. Couple of notes here. One is it, at the same time the fake controversy was happen- happening, MSNBC discovered that Joy Reid, another one of their yeah. contributors, had written legitimately, as she quote called it, I believe, insensitive and anti-gay posts about Governor Charlie, former Governor Charlie Crist of mm-hmm. Florida. Okay. Yeah. So, and those ran from 2007 to 2009. Yeah. So there are things on the internet <laughs> that you could find that would imperil somebody's career or at least make them apologize. Right. Like that. That that is actually possible because sure. I saw an Eric Wemple from the Washington Post wrote a column saying this tweet's been up since 2009. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's how Twitter can, works. You can have done stuff in your past that will make people mad. So a, there is a legitimate <laughs> version of this. The second part is I like your word appeasement. Yeah. People dunk on cable news all the time. The easiest possible target, they do lots and lots of good work or at least just in mildly diverting work, right? Mm -hmm. They have been at their worst when they try to appease the Trump administration. This, you know, this is CNN hiring terrible Trumpites, right? And Uh putting them on the air with Jake Tapper and Brian Stelter and their real journalists, and Cooper and people like that, right? This is... MSNBC scrambling to hire a few conservatives. This is Corey Lewandowski briefly getting a CNN job. Yes. That's just pure appeasement. That is, we don't, we, the people who are going to be eternally offended, we're going to make a hire or perform an action that will, we hope will unoffend them for five seconds and it never works.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, the other thing is you, as you pointed out, Sam Cedar is a per appearance, per appearance contractor or whatever with MSNBC. But, uh, you know, despite MSNBC's just total flub on this one, in some ways it just sort of reinforces their significance because the only thing people like this isn't Sam Cedar's only job, right? I mean, he has a podcast, he has a radio show, or whatever. He does yep. his own thing, but the only part of it that people really paid attention to was whether or not MSNBC was formally renouncing him, or then then after the fact, <laughs> yeah, right. hiring him back. Uh, they go after the big corporation because they know they're the most sensitive, right? Right, they And the and, most to lose. And But out of the other side of his mouth, Cernovich or whoever would say, "You know, MS, MSNBC is a dinosaur and nobody cares about it and nobody watches it." <laughs> you know, yeah, and they're using its dinosaur, but
1: they're using its dinosaur values that's against true. it.
0: The the the, the vestigial limbs or whatever that are, yeah. I mean, it's it's that's that's definitely the case. I mean, I think that you know what was interesting to me was was Cernovich's, uh reaction. To him being rehired, which was basically a sort of like, nya, 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 like this. I knew this would happen all along. And who knows, you know, who, um, whether or not it's true sort of doesn't really matter. But the sort of more meta point that he was celebrating was that now the liberal media is not allowed to go after people for past indiscretions anymore because they've acknowledged, they, MSNBC, whoever, has acknowledged that, you know, stupid things you said in 2009 are not significant. I mean, which which misses the point. Clearly, he still didn't acknowledge that it was a joke. But even to say that, I mean, he did. But but that that argument sort of misses that. But to say, but, but but, you know, it's a, I, I'm sure we're, we haven't heard the last of this. No. The next time a Republican congressman gets fired for. You know, or someone like Donald Trump gets gets in trouble for say doing something like the Access Hollywood video. They're going to say, "Well, you're allowed to make jokes years before, and it doesn't matter." Yeah. Which the, t- the takeaway
1: sh- is that they shouldn't fire people for dumb stuff. Yeah, I mean that's what it, that's what the takeaway should be. Yeah, I mean it's that not you, should, you shouldn't be dumb. Yeah, I mean listen, that's what's so hard to quantify about social media. Yes. You and I have talked a lot about social media policy in the last couple of weeks, offline and online. And the hardest thing is. There is no such thing as a successful social media policy that I've ever seen, yes, because yes. how do you? What? Where do you draw the line? And this is a great example because jokes are the hardest thing to draw the line. Mm-hmm. At. I could say, "Don't tweet offensive things about rape." Well, this is a this is a joke. Yeah. So it's actually it, and it's actually its purpose is to be slightly offensive. That's yep. the joke. Sure. Right. That's the joke. So. I don't understand. Like when when we do all this stuff, we go through this. We've been this a hundred times this year. There is no social media policy that works. No, it's only your employer's going to look at it. They're going to decide whether they want to tolerate it or not. You hope they don't. You know, get rolled by you know weird elements on the internet, and that's all you can do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, ESPN rolled out a, a slightly updated social media policy a little over a month ago, uh, largely in response, or, or presumably in response to the Jamel Hill stuff that has happened <laughs> that we've discussed, you've written about fairly,
1: fairly obviously at in great response. length.
0: Uh, the big thing was don't break news on social media platforms. Um, but, the, you know, there's also stuff in there about expressing personal opinions and that sort of thing. I mean, I think that the real tension... What's with, an opinion? Yeah, I, I mean, that's yeah, another good question. Well, the, the real tension with social media policy is that you know if twitter had magically existed 15 years ago before all of these you know media institutions the influ- their, their before their influence started waning then yeah it's obvious twitter is where you get to be where you get to be brian curtis after hours you know it's a little <laughs> bit of the little bit of the off the clock you can tweet with friends you can make some jokes you can do whatever the problem is that twitter both because of its influence in media in general but also because of its because of its ease of use, because of how simple it is to, like we were talking about with Jamel, much easier to screen grab a tweet than to actually watch a show, you know, right. and, and, oh, yeah. and take offense at anything there. Because of all that, Twitter is Twitter has a greater influence than the actual platforms that these people, are, that journalists are writing for, in many cases. Oh yeah, right. Wait, what so, are you
1: What are you more likely to see, Sam Cedar's tweets or <laughs> I, MSNBC? As someone the day. who watches,
0: who watches, you know, a good bit of MSNBC, much more likely to see his tweets. You know, and even the old tweets that get recycled, you spend time on Twitter. That's the sort of thing that that pops up. It's just crazy. I mean, I think it all. But this entire controversy could have been avoided had MSNBC just been like, yeah, we don't care. Like, yes, it's a it's a it's a joke in poor taste or. yeah, it buzz off. But yes, but and or, or if you actually if you're actually offended by it. Like put them in timeout, but you don't need to, I mean, but this seems like of all of these cases, <laughs> time the, least, the, the time when it's least necessary to issue a public apology and to announce a formal firing, he's a contractor who appears occasionally. If, you, if, if you're the president of MSNBC and this offends you to your core, then just send your coworkers an email not to put them on the shows for six months or something. You know, I mean, how, it's not like it's that.
1: Yeah, but that's, they, they, they think they need the public offering. That's, that's what yes. Cernovich wants, and that's what MSNBC th- thinks they need to do. By the way, I always love with the social media stuff, this happened with Jamel. It's Donald Trump is a white supremacist, right? Mm-hmm. The first thing that so many useful, our, our friend Tommy Craggs likes to point out, these people on Twitter argue, is they don't answer the question of, is Donald Trump a white supremacist? Yes. The first question they ask is, is this against the social media policy? <laughs> as if that was the most important. Like why, why is it up to us as media writers, as observers, as journalists, whatever, to enforce somebody else's social media policy that we don't agree with, it's not. I, I we don't care. I don't care. That doesn't doesn't matter to me what their tastes are, what rules they put out for their employees. Sure, all I care about is whether I, so whether I decide that it's that it's worth. You know, that it's I don't know if offensive. Who cares if it's offensive? By the way, another revealing thing: Cernovich's quote was, "It's a bad look," and that's what they want to make it a, make it about rather than just say, "Damn, that's a bad tweet." Bad look and bad tweet is so revealing here. It's not real offense. Bad look means it's like fake offense, right? That's a good, that's not a good look. Yeah. That just means that you're offended on behalf of a hypothetical person who is offended. Yeah. Rather than actually offended.
0: Sure, I mean, and it's and and you know, one of the problems that that everyone has in discussing this issue and, and other issues is you know when you discuss Mike Cernovich or any one of his ilk. I mean, if you actually the New York Times story from I think it was yesterday that the uh, you know the headline is MSNBC re, uh, rehires contributor Sam Cedar. Quote: Sometimes you just get one wrong. I love that. Uh, but then right there in the related coverage sidebar is who is Mike Cernovich a guide? I mean, it's it, it, every time that that that, that Cernovich. Uh, I mean, there's other people that fit the description, but every time he rears his head, you know, you deal with the questions of like, are you just giving him a platform that, you know, for someone who's a conspiracy theorist and in his... Mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah. and in, and and specifically related to this case is there's, you know, no shortage of old Mike Cernovich tweets that are like deeply, deeply offensive, you know? I mean, he kind of comes from this like men's rights activist background where he's like tweeting in defense of, I mean, like defending rapists and all. I mean, just there's like a lot of weird, a lot of stuff that you could drag up and, and people have... But I think that he doesn't have bosses, so it huh? doesn't matter. He doesn't have bosses, right? Exactly. And I mean, there's a, there is a sort of like jujitsu about this whole thing, right? Where it's like I'm just gonna I'm gonna attack my opponents. weak. like I'm gonna attack basically my own weak spot on my like find find my weakest point and re and find and you know dog my opponent for it. Sounds like very Trumpian. Yeah, I said just one more thought on this. Is it put this in
1: this larger context too of. Journalists making errors on big stories. There was a CNN screw up as we, oh, as yeah. we talk about this podcast, uh, as we record this podcast, excuse me, uh, today about the Trump-Russia stuff. There's Brian Ross's and ABC's yes. very high profile screw up the other day that networks are really afraid of making big mistakes, right? Because mm-hmm. the stakes are so high in these stories. So I think that kind of gets flushed into all this, too, is that they're trying not to – they want to, you know, take all the Trump and the whole administration and nail them to the wall – but at the same time, they don't want to make big mistakes, you know. So they're just very sensitive of anything going wrong right. that would give the right and Trump ammunition.
0: I don't. I mean, but what, at the end of the day, it's like it's. It, can you? Is it? Is it? Is it so difficult? I mean, the answer is yes. This is a rhetorical question. But is it so difficult for a corporation, or a media company, just to say like, here's our formal announcement. This was a bad joke. I mean, this was a joke. It was a joke in bad taste. We're moving on. Yes, it's very difficult.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Time now for our overworked Twitter joke of the week, David, where we celebrate, despite the fact that American culture has shattered into one billion pieces, we can all come together to make the exact same jokes about the exact same bits of news. Oh, yeah. Lots of honorable mentions this week. Uh, when Michael Flynn apparently flipped and agreed to cooperate with Robert Mueller's Russiagate investigation, uh, congrats if you posted a picture of Henry Hill testifying at the end of Goodfellas. <laughs> um when the Pontiac Silverdome, former home of the Lions, failed to implode if you called it the most Lions thing ever. Uh, congratulations on that. But our winner, David, we actually have a self-nomination. <laughs> oh my gosh. From the Ringer's very own Zach Mack. Can you believe this? We get a lot of nominations every week. People nominate others, but they rarely nominate themselves. It's true. Um, the big news this week in sports world, of course, is that the Russians are not going to be coming to the 2018. <laughs> Winter Olympics, they are banned. Oh yeah! And uh, Zach tweeted, "But can we ban them from our elections?" <laughs> oh my goodness! Congratulations, Zach! Well, they, right, congratulations for joining the monoculture. Now back to uh, now back to whatever it is you like to do. Topic number two, David. I'm going to call this assholes like Matt Hasselbeck. <laughs> yes. So Monday's Steelers Bengals game was extremely hard to watch unwatchable, horrific. Depends on what you're watching for. Many, many sort of things came out of that, but one was a particularly memorable Mike Mitchell monologue. At least he's a safety for the Steelers in the locker room.
0: I feel like I got to ask a guy,
1: hey, are you ready for me to hit you right now before I hit you? That's crazy. He defended the game of football. He compared himself to Jack Tatum. Uh, He also denounced, quote, assholes like Mass Hasselbeck, who works for Sunday Countdown on ESPN, who had said that Mitchell was a dirty
0: player. And at first you're taking our money, but now, you know, you, I got assholes like Matt Hasselbeck calling me a dirty player and trying my character, and we've never met before. Just to be clear, and, uh, and thanks to, to Ringer intern Jordan Coley for, for trying to suss this out for us, uh, I think Mike Mitchell's uh, gripe with Hasselbeck dates, dates back to last month um, and a hit that Mitchell made on Chiefs quarterback Alex Smith uh, for which apparently Hasselbeck called him a dirty player.
1: And which he was fined for, and then the fine was challenged, and the fine was rescinded, I believe.
0: Uh, his, uh, Mitchell's quote at the time, and this is not his, his, his uh, you know, mematic uh, rant from this week. He said to Michelle Tafoya, he said, I was very frustrated with Alex and people in the media. Matt Hasselbeck, we're going to have words next time we're on Monday Night Football. You don't know me, and you call me a repeat offender. Two personal fouls over the past three years. Um, him coming up to the set of, of
1: Monday countdown or Sunday countdown would be fantastic. Sure. I endorse that. Let's just ha- let's just have it out. Right. Why do, why do we need, you know, it's like, well, he's we, like talks about Richard Sherman and
0: Skip Bayless a couple of yes. years ago,
1: but that that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I think
0: that this is what the real, allure. Not of opposed to that. The, I mean, the real power of Mike Mitchell's, of Mike Mitchell's, uh, monologue um well, I mean one that he's like incredibly charismatic and this was an, this couldn't have been wouldn't have been better if Aaron Sorkin had scripted it you know I mean it's a very very good he, he was he he did a great job it was really compelling it was um but I think that the real power of it is that you know assholes like Matt Hasselbeck is is like the easiest <laughs> target in in professional sports and sports media right now you know a little bit of, I mean it has a lot to do with with what we've talked about many times before Uh, the decline of ESPN, the, the fact that ESPN is a perpetual target for anyone's sports grievance. Um, and then, you know, just in general, it's like the talking head versus the athlete and the sort of, you know, in the sort of, you know, Donald Trump can, Donald Trump on the NFL sort of culture that we're living in right now.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think it's sort of the, it's sort of the moralizer, moralizing talking Mm -hmm. head, right? The one who particularly is gonna come out and say dirty player or yeah. somehow you value you know, violated the values of the game mm-hmm. in some way. Because a lot of them don't talk like that.
0: No, I mean they they don't, although, you know, I was after after Mitchell's uh after Mitchell's clip went viral, you know, I was watching NFL Live and Teddy Brusquew, Herm Edwards during his uh you know, who's a who's a famous on I mean, famous on air moralizer, uh we're were both sort of like saying you got to change with the game football's evolving. And that's part of your job saying this to Mike Mitchell. Um, you know, it's hard to look at people on the on an ESPN set saying this stuff and not just feel a little bit of a, a little bit of a sickness in your stomach, because this sort of moralizing is functionally like just a 2017 version of he got jacked up. Right. I mean, <laughs> instead of celebrating, instead of celebrating the on field concussions, now we're taking the sort of moralizing role of condemning them. He got called out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. You know, I it's it's a, it's that's, a that's a great point. It's a, it's there. ESPN's an easy target, and in some ways, a very deserving one. But I think you know, as we've seen before in these situations, you, know, you and I both talked about talked about this a little bit. Is that the, you know the other villain here is clearly the NFL, and they're an easy target too.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we it's funny because to me, whenever we have an NFL argument, the hardest thing to parse out is that. It's really there's a lot of right and wrong mixed in mm-hmm. to every pronouncement about the NFL. Yep. So I mean from Mitchell's a couple of things that I took away. That I one that I totally agree with is that why was Rob Gronkowski's clearly ridiculous after the whistle thing? Why did that merit the same penalty as things that happened in the course of a football game? Is one thing that he said, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm in the end zone. And, you know, I'm trying to avoid a helmet, you know, I'm trying to make a quick hit and it's a bang, bang play helmet to helmet happens. Why do I why does somebody like me get a one game suspension? And then Gronk, who's just trying to hurt somebody after a plays over, why does else he get a one game suspension? Why are these the same thing? Yeah. By the way, I'll quote his. This is Mitchell's tweet. So Gronk elbow drops a guy off the top rope like Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Shout out to the mass man. <laughs> yeah. And gets the same suspension as a guy getting a penalty, making a football play. Totally right there. The, but the other thing he said is he definitely went back to this argument we hear a lot from football players and football fans, yes. which is football is a violent game. What are you going to do? Turn it into flag football. Mm-hmm. He mentioned Jack Tatum. Jack Tatum got in a collision with somebody and paralyzed them. Like, mm-hmm. It was like he is the poster, poster man. I won't call him a, a child. Poster man for you know, this old style of football that we've taken out of the game. And you know, or at least we've tried to legislate out of the game. Now I understand he is making a larger point about how difficult this is, but after watching that Monday night game, if your point is sorry, football's violent, that's, I don't, I don't know that that's a, I don't know that that's going to do it. You know, I don't know that that's a complete explanation. For that's when players on the field were visibly shocked and by what had happened.
0: Yeah, when you talk about players needing to evolve, I think that the real, the real evidence of a lack of evolution and this is more of a like a you know emotional uh meta sort of evolution but in a game where ryan shazir is maybe paralyzed and him and who and and maybe his career has been ended before our our eyes to not register that you know maybe a little bit more delicacy is needed both on both as you play the rest of the game and as you deal with the, with the concept of you know uh, particular uh, potentially injurious hits afterwards. Now that that's all fine. I think that to me, the really compelling, I mean, uh, to me, the really compelling uh, case for the NFL's fault in this is just that these fine, there's not, there's no structure to how these punishments are meted out. And Schefter talked about this a little bit on, on ESPN afterwards, where he said that targeting the, you know, the, the, the concept of targeting may be, fr- maybe may uh up for specific review next season, like it is in college. If you're, if they can review that stuff and, and, and referees can hand out referees and can hand out fines based on that. Um, but more than anything, it's the, you know, the need for what he called it, an infraction schedule for consistency. I think that that's, I mean, I, we, I feel like I discussed this in another context last week, but when you find yourself as a viewer, um, outraged, it's often because you just can't find a, like a, you you can't find a location to place a regular amount of rage or, <laughs> or, or, or or discomfort. And in this case, we don't even know who broke the rules. Mike Mitchell was totally right about this. There's not there. This stuff should be spelled out, you know, and the fact that it's not makes it harder for us to wrap our mind around and, and easier to get just generally outraged about. Now, do we think that spelling this out would be just
1: like crafting a social media policy? Well, it's it, it, so much, you know athletic
0: movement on a field that just defies any kind it, of bright lines it I, th- I think that that's i think that that's exact i think that's right when we talk about in-game hits i i can see both i feel like i i'm pretty pretty much down the middle on this issue but i still you know you watch things in slow motion and you clearly are seeing things that you can't see in real time and certainly and you're seeing things that don't exist you know i mean it's you can you can it's easy to 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 watch a slow motion video and 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 try to pinpoint the moment where the tackler's eyes went to the helmet instead of the ball or instead of the body. But those things that happened so fast, it's it's impossible to pin down. I do think you can you can spell out things like if you do what Rob Gronkowski did, you're gone for the season. Sure. Oh you know, yeah. If play if play is stopped and you attack someone. That, you, to, that to me is the easiest one well it's and it, it should be bigger it's easy but again in the same ESPN segment I keep mentioning Herm Edwards most he, he was he said we got to change the way we play you got to change if, if you're not going for the for the ball if you're going for the body instead of the ball then that's your fault and whatever but he also said you got to protect star players because if star players are out then people stop watching games <laughs> and that's when things get really sketchy right uh, yeah well that but that just went to a weird, weird right. moral place but when you but when you go but but that's but that's I mean in some ways that's what you need to do if you say Rob Gronkowski, you know, it's not one game. It's going to be. It's a six-game suspension. Then maybe that'll affect the way that people play the game. Now, obviously, that's not between tackles or whatever. But yeah. and I don't know. I mean, it's.
1: I mean, I'm sure there's some Patriots fans or I mean, some some Patriots haters that would get mad. But it doesn't seem like the NFL. The NFL. Punish star players less and the leading rushers out for six games for domestic violence from last year, right? I mean, it's like, no, is that really the problem?
0: No, I mean, and but, but I think just you I know, I think
1: in a weird way that makes people matter. I think
0: that what they but, but what the NFL at the end of the day really wants is the latitude to not suspend Rob Gronkowski if this happens in the playoffs, not him in particular, but you do, but on some level, you do need to watch out for. You know, having teams at relative full strength when they're playing for a Super Bowl, and if you have a if you have a codified schedule for suspensions, then it you know it complicates that it complicates the marketing value of some of these games. Right. I mean,
1: we saw a version of that in the World Series, right, where Yuli yeah. Gurriel makes this racist gesture in the dugout, and they say, "We're not going to suspend you during the World Series because this is too important." Right. You yep. can do your suspension next year. I'll make just one larger point before we move on about. Uh-huh. It. Athlete rants against reporters. (laughs) Go for it. Which is just that there was this culture on the internet that whenever, for a while, that whenever somebody in a locker room said something about a media member, this is like Russell Westbrook, and we can name a hundred different examples, they would just be cheered on uh, on the internet because, aha, I'm sure the reporter deserved it, or I'm sure the talking head on TV deserved it. Mm -hmm. They didn't always deserve it, and it's worth parsing through (laughs) what the guy is actually claiming and what the person actually said. This is another thing I disagree with Mike Mitchell with. He said, this guy doesn't Hasselbeck doesn't know me. He called me a dirty player, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't know about all the money I give to charity and stuff like that. You can watch the games and make that conclusion. I'm sorry. That's just, you know, now Hasselbeck may not be right or maybe wrong, but somebody can watch you on TV and, come to, and make an argument about whether you're a dirty player or not. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's out outside the question. Vontae's perfect. Does, does he, I don't know Vontae's perfect. Yeah. I've never talked to him. I don't know how much charity uh, money he gives out, but come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I agree with you. I think I would just say that part of the, like, again, the lack of definitions in this whole thing is what really complicates the situation because you can call some, because you're left having to call someone a dirty player Because there's not a rubric for what you get for what they've actually done and what they actually are in any sort of like system of rules. That makes sense. You know, I mean, if dirty play, I mean, dirty player is there's no misdemeanor.
1: There's no felony. So you're left with some really broad term that could mean literally anything. And, and, and honestly,
0: dirty player is one of those things that like, it's a phrase that you can toss around with your friends with minimal significance, but it, it's, a, it is the sort of phrase that you can, if someone says it on ESPN, accuses someone of being a dirty player, you can understand how that person would take it much more personally than it was intended when it was said out loud. It's not exactly a term of art, but it's certainly a loaded phrase when it's used in the wrong context. Sure. To- totally. Totally.
1: Maybe rather than dirty ball player, the thing you should do is say that was a dirty play. Rather, so pick out pick out the sin rather than making a broad statement about the guy. I'm the dirtiest player in the game. Woo! I know one thing. Win and I'll go. Now, David, before we move on to our next topic on pre-rolls. Here's a mid-roll ad. Hello! Woo! I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished gazing upon the Porzinga himself in his Care of Magical Creatures class, it's Ringer staff writer
0: and your maester, Jason Concepcion! And we're here on urgent business. Is it urgent? It's urgent to tell you about Binge Mode Weekly, our triumphant return to our true home, our true Dragonstone, your earbuds. We
1: are back! Yeah! On Binge Mode Weekly. Jason and I will be taking our trademark deep dive into the topics that are occupying our minds and hearts, the events of the moment.
0: Love the scholarly expertise and accessibility of Binge Mode Game of Thrones? Then you'll love Binge Mode Weekly, where we'll touch on everything from our favorite books and movies. To the shows that are obsessing us at a given moment. To the sporting events captivating us. From week to week. Binge Mode Weekly starts this Thursday and every Thursday thereafter on the same feed as Binge Mode Game of Thrones.
1: Oh, Thursday! And.
0: Ooh. Dun dun, dun. <laughs> Give me that Haggard sized drum roll! Stay tuned for Binge Mode Harry Potter in spring
1: 2018. Akio Binge Mode! Protect Hedwig. Jason, I have some. Very distressing news for you. Topic number three, David. Pre-roll. Oh, everybody just turned off the podcast. Now, this was a (laughs) headline in Ad Age the other day. Facebook to lift longtime ban on pre-roll ads. And you sent me a note in email. I think there's an interesting convo about (laughs) advertising in the digital age and how pre-rolls have basically stopped being ads and become ransom. (laughs) Did you just sign up for the premium plan on YouTube, Hulu, et cetera? Hot take. What did you mean by that, David Shoemaker?
0: I mean, listen, it's not just – that was one of many articles that we kind of all saw at the same time about, you know, uh, BuzzFeed not meeting their their profit goals, Mashable being sold for, you know, a fraction of what they were valued at just a short time ago. Um, lots of layoffs all over the media landscape, all this like failure to meet advertising numbers. Um, and now Facebook does this. I mean, there's, there's two different things. I mean, there's many more than two different things, but there's that there's the, you know, the monolith of, of sponsored advert advertising and advertorials is not panning out in the way that we thought it would. And the flips and the other half, we have Facebook now allowing pre-roll ads, which, goes against the very soul. I mean, everybody says this about Facebook every time they change anything, but of just being able to scroll through your timeline and watch a video, you know, watch five seconds of a video and then choose to move on or not. You know, I mean, right. that's how it's, that's how the site, how the mobile app is constructed. Um, and, and they're talking here, I think more specifically about when they're doing Facebook television, you know, television style shows, they're doing broadcast. It's not just, not the stuff in your timeline. But to still, to still, to, t- to take the the prohibition off that, it just opens up this larger question about like how are we subsidizing the internet in 2017? You know, how are we? Oof. How are any of us paying for what we do?
1: Yeah, and I like how we have to be kind of sheepish about it. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at the Hulu, you know, sign up today. So for 11.99 a month, you get no commercials. I pay for that. For seven ninety nine and for a special low price right now five ninety nine you get what is called quote limited commercials, mm-hmm. but I love limited limited mm-hmm. from what yeah. <laughs> you know limited from whatever Hulu decided to give you yeah limited versus what you see on television normally mm-hmm. I mean, it's just I love the you know the language of that is very funny to me I mean it's funny it's funny how angry ads make people now because I feel like you that's and I it. I don't want to always pull out the young, the old guy card on this podcast oh, but we but, got but it you but you why not it. why not but that's our lane. Remember how passively and mostly happily we used to watch advertising on TV? Yeah, I mean, I still can impress my wife by how many jingles I can sing oh, from yeah. from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Even like local Dallas Fort Worth mattress companies and stuff like that. <laughs> yes, furniture stores, bag car, local car dealerships, car dealerships. David, McDavid. Yeah, absolutely. The um, but now it's gotten to this point where, and I'm and I'm you and I are probably one of them. You just get really pissed off. Oh yeah, when you see a commercial. Just furiously angry,
0: yeah, I mean, and now we're
1: in journalism, we understand that to fund this, you have to put up with a certain level of of advertising,
0: oh yeah, absolutely there's nothing. True. I mean, listen, I did, like I said, I subscribed to Hulu premium. i was Hulu free initially, and you just had to watch the ads and they've changed. I don't even remember how it worked, but um, I used to subscribe to the to the seven ninety nine plan um, and then. As the ad volume increased, you know, at first, and this is not just a Hulu problem, this is how online video works. It was the same ads over and over again, and more than anything, they were just sort of, they just sort of placeholder ads for like, just so they could show future advertisers. Like this is where your ad would go when like the 13th Chevrolet ad is running, you know, like this is, you know, and, and sometimes back in the old tech days, this is why, I mean, why people are mad is because partly because technology is bad, right? You go on some streaming platforms and you just get caught in a loop of advertising, like the same commercial <laughs> plays right. over and over again. That's the worst. You got to reboot, you got to reload the page and then, you know, and then you, you and then you have to rewatch the show if it's something, you know, they don't let you skip ahead. Some That's old Internet, too. But I would watch I would watch these commercials. But then as the volume increased, I was just like, you know what? I'm here for this is I basically go, you know, at at that point was watching Hulu for work purposes. I would watch watch Monday Night Raw the next day. It was easier than setting my DVR. I could watch it on my phone, you know, whatever. So it was worth the extra couple of bucks. And it's a pleasure to watch all that stuff without commercials, you know, it's a, and it's, it makes it really easy, but you start to view the commercials. This is what I texted you as a sort of like ransom, you know? I mean, when they're when, when every, when half of the ads that you see on, on YouTube are trying to get you to sign up for YouTube premium or whatever they call it, you know, when they, like, when they, when they really, really push this stuff at you, then it is sort of infuriating. And I wonder if some people just like toggle away go to a go to a you know a different a different website um or if they all just eventually succumb like i do you know or borrow a friend's login whatever um <laughs> Not that but you're endorsing you know one of the things that came up and this is i'm gonna kind of zoom out a little bit but one of the things that came up in the pieces about buzzfeed and mashable and all the various websites that aren't hitting their their ad goals is that a lot of advertisers are going instead of going to to websites. They're just going straight to Google and Facebook. Like that's where all the, that's where all this ad money is being invested now. And it makes sense. You know, why would you give money to, you know, whatever, Brian Curtis.com to, for, to advertise when they're just going to be advertising on Facebook anyway, just give the money to Facebook, you know? Um, And I think that that's part of the, that's part of how YouTube and, and Hulu and Netflix, they all kind of have us wrapped around their fingers, right? Because they're, we're getting to a point where, all these websites are sort of monopolies and everybody that doesn't have the absolute power of a Facebook is struggling to figure out what our revenue structure is going to be. Absolutely. By the way, related. Remember the first
1: time you heard a podcast host read an ad? Yeah. How jolting that was. Yeah. Remember when it was, yeah. Oh wait, we're all commercial pitchmen
0: now. (laughs) I think it was the first time where despite you know, audio not being a new, I mean, audio is not new. Podcasting was a very new thing for a while. I think that was the first moment where I realized that we're just doing radio, right? I mean, it's like, Like where have I heard this before? Oh, Howard Cern, we're doing live reads, you know, or not Mm -hmm. even live. It's not live, doing ad reads. To realize that the same calculus applies to podcasting from an advertising side as it did to radio a hundred years ago and, you know, up until the present day. Yeah, is a little bit jarring.
1: That was incredibly jarring for me. Because it was usually a writer that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is, this is the new price, right? It's that you get to read it. But weirdly, I think we don't, we don't hate those ads, right? Because someone you like is, is saying the ad. Or we tolerate them a little more than you would random Ford truck commercial stuck on the front stuck. or in the middle of a video.
0: Well, the biggest, I mean, the difference on podcasts, to be frank, is that you can fast forward through them.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true.
0: They're not stuck. I mean, listen. I think I, I, mean,
1: I weirdly wind up listening to most of the ads.
0: Yeah, because you're doing something else. Your hands aren't free or you just don't care enough. You know it'll be over soon. But if, man, if the, <laughs> if the Apple podcast app, and, and obviously they have competition in that field, but if, the, if, if, if podcast apps start making commercials unskippable, then the world will come crumbling down. Like people will be so outraged by that. You think they'll be mad at us? I don't know. The unavoidable commercial or advertisement um is such it feels like such a dinosaur now and forever you know we talked about this a little bit before the show but journalism was propped up maybe artificially for decades by the existence of these giant print ads you know they sure. did they would go out and sell ad space I'm sure they didn't have to defend the concept of ads to Jaguar when they're pulling out a two- page spread in the middle of the sports page of the New York Times or in you know glossy a glossy magazine or something like that they didn't have to defend the concept of advertising to the to to potential advertisers
1: no and I, though I think readers you know, I remember being frustrated by magazine ads as a kid, sure. you know, on those big fat Sunday papers, which now God to have a big fat Sunday <laughs> paper again, but they were just full of ads. I remember like, eh, okay, okay, okay. You know, yeah. flipping through it or whatever. And certainly
0: in the, two th- in the you know, first part of the 2000s, when, uh, when you would start counting, when you could jokingly count pages in the latest issue of ESPN, the magazine or whatever it was and realize that it's fully half full color ads. Yeah. Um, And it's not just that magazine that happened with a lot of places. You know, you pick up a copy of whatever vanity fair. There's a whole lot of There's a whole lot of full page ads in there. It's weird because those things are sold with the expectation that most people are just going to flip past them, Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, I got this cache of vintage sports illustrated the other day mm -hmm. at a used
1: bookstore First of all, it's incredible just the visions of masculinity they were selling. Oh, this yeah. is like circa 88, 89. eighty, uh-huh. eighty-nine. They'd have like a jet ski, you know. Like how many people, you know, like where are you that you're just so easy to get a jet ski? I mean, a lot of lakes in the United States, but <laughs> just yes. I just love that that was big enough to be in one of the biggest national magazines. Jet ski. A lot of lot of a lot of camel cigarettes, obviously. Yeah. A lot of motorcycles, right? A lot of good cars um there was some boating a lot of boating kind of stuff you know mm-hmm. it was real it was a real man's man kind of vision of
0: advertising yeah it's all i mean it's all aspirational i think that's where the, the that's where the, the jet ski thing comes from to eventually get to the point where you can get that place on the lake and ride your jet ski around someday, or whatever someday david someday we'll have our own yeah, jet or skis even in this, even in the cigarette ads it's not just you know <laughs> you don't aspire to be a smoker but you maybe you aspire to be that guy in the ad you know or to drive Marlboro that man. yeah to drive that car to to have that motorcycle I don't, I think that uh, maybe it's, this is getting way too meta, but the question right now is just like, what the hell do we aspire to? I mean, most people they go online and they're like, I aspire to watch this YouTube video right now and not after a 30 second ad. That's my aspiration.
1: Yeah. It's hard to, on on the, on the video and pod ads, it's hard to think of the particularly aspirational role model. It's all very, it feels more, more just like use, you, you know, smart, helpful things, stuff mm-hmm. you get in your stocking from your mom, yeah. right?
0: That kind of stuff. Well, there's so many people now who, who also, I mean, it, we have, it has to be mentioned who use ad blockers for their browsing of the internet. And, and that's, uh, you know, a lot of these ad blockers are very intelligent now where you can like sort of choose to opt out of them for certain websites to make sure that your preferred sites get the ad revenue, get the clicks, get whatever else. It all is very, very, uh, I don't know. It's just like it's it's a very it's a very weird point of view for the way that we that we engage with content that we like now that we like we want the content we don't want to subsidize it and it's it's a sort of postmodern just I don't know just entitlement that it's a it's a, and we all we're all guilty I'm not trying to you know point any fingers but it is very strange, and we all know that feeling that when a new advert, like a you know a site that you're not used to having a bunch of invasive ads, you click on it, it has the the full page overlay of the homepage. You know, we're like <laughs> we're going wall to wall with with animated new Star Wars ads today or something like that, and you you feel like you feel like you've been duped, you know, and you feel like you've been that someone tricked you into walking into a you know just walking into just like consumerism zone when all you wanted to do was read a blog post. I'd say in closing, if 2017
1: was the year of pivoting to video, mm-hmm. one of the most horrible, uh. <laughs> horrible trends ever, which we had like 19 examples of this year, mm-hmm. we are also then pivoting to pre-roll, right? I mean, yeah. that means there is more of that in everybody's life. Like you are, you know, as a, as an editorial operation, if you are still in fact an editorial operation at some extent, you're saying, okay, we can't get enough money by publishing words, so we're going to pivot towards these things, yeah. These pre-roll ads, right, that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and that's that has weirdly become an end game in journalism. You know, again, I use the word journalism advisor, yeah. but that is like the end game is we need the money. That's where the money is. Let's have more of those, and that's like that's what one of the saddest things I could possibly say about <laughs> 2017. I think
0: <laughs> pre-roll, just as yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the only kind of advertising online that you can't get away from, and it is it does feel like. It does feel a little bit like ransom, but until we figure out a way to, until we figure out a way forward, I think in some ways we're stuck with it. That concludes this hostage video.
1: (laughs) David Shoemaker, Brian Curtis back next week with more hot takes about the media and all other assorted subjects. We'll see you then.
0: Bye.